freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports Station. And Brooke Roar, you are. And Brooke, you are. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Let the fire! All right, rolling along here on Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Just saw G. Scott. He was in the building. We got a good five-minute download on uh, the Grammys last night. Brock, I really am sorry you missed it. There was a, one great, memorable Grammys moment that, you know, if you're coming into oh, work Oh, I saw today, that. I mean, culturally, I'm on social media. <laughs> so you, I saw that it went viral. They you saw the viral. tribute to hip-hop that LL yeah. did. It was pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Honestly, it was worth your time. I mean, just going all the way through the history of 50 years of hip-hop and starting off in New York and the Bronx and, you know, going through Run DMC and, you know, a lot of the old school guys. And they got to Busta and, and Busta Rhymes just totally stole the show. He did a little bit of uh, put your hands where my eyes can see and then stopped and was like, hold on. I got to do a little of this. Oh. So are we ranking? <laughs> That was just the end of it. He did a few minutes of that, which was pretty awesome. (laughs) Kind of stole the show. Are you going to rank Busted? Busted? You're going to rank Busted's ranked? Yeah. Yeah, Well, I don't know. It just as as. Maybe it's the baseball fan and analyst in me, but like I watched that because they had like how many people do you think were part of that tribute? Thirty. Well, I'd say more than that. Okay, well, whatever it was, oh, twenty-five like thir- artists. Yeah, yeah let's yeah, say yeah, twenty-five yeah, thirty. Yeah. And Busta comes like everyone does a little bit of their song. They dance a little bit. They're older, some of them, but they they do a good job with their songs. LL Cool J and Run DMC and Missy and all that. And Busta drops that. You think the other guys are other artists are a little annoyed? I don't think so. That was they all did their thing. As I said, that's not really Busta's thing. That's one song where he does that on the the vast majority of Busta's catalog is not like that. Mm. That's one song where he is capable of doing it. Multiple times he did it on the Chris Brown song. I'm getting paper too. He can do it. But do when you think of Busta, is that like the first thing you think of? I think of Wuha. Right. Like I think of the end of scenario or you know dangerous any number of things. That's not like who he is. Like it's not like it was twisted. Oh, so this is your Kevin Yeah, A little bit like oh. oh, so we all we all show up to this big <laughs> tribute to hip hop, and Bust has got to show us all up. Thanks a lot, man. Right? I think that's how you would take it. No, I'm just saying that's uh, maybe it's the baseball fan in me thinking about the way baseball players kind of handle their business, like. Hey man, I'm not going to show up again if this guy's just going to embarrass me and do the whole. Fast I mean, was Hammer out there? Did Hammer do his Hammer? Hammer time? was not invited. There, were, there what? were, there was. LL did a great job at the beginning and said, "Hey, we can't get everybody right now." So he had a lot of great I'm artists. Not sure, MC Hammer is considered uh, legit. A, like amazing hip hop artist. Yeah, no, probably not. Tribute. Yeah, that's probably more in the pop yeah. pop realm. But there were a ton of people that were. They could have been there and maybe will be there the next time. I mean, they didn't get Dre or Snoop. I know Dre sort of introduced the whole thing. Jay-Z came on later, but he wasn't a part Snoop of it. Snoop was busy Eminem. at the Pro Bowl. Exactly. Eminem wasn't a part of it. Yeah. Beastie Boys weren't a part of was it. Ice Cube? Uh, Ice Cube was not a part of it. Wow. I mean, they did, there weren't a lot of the big L.A. rappers. Ice-T was. Uh, but there weren't a lot of the big L.A. rappers, uh, DJ Quick and some of those guys. 
And then they didn't do um, who else was I just thinking about? Q-tip and tri- you know tri- representing tribe. So there were a lot of places that are, I think are still left. Wu-Tang, to go. Yeah. Wow. Method Man was there for Wu Tang. Yeah. So they sort of represented that. Can you anyway. get to the Mariners? Okay, that's four minutes, please. Well, it leads to the Mariners. <laughs> Good. Right. Give me your baseball guy. Put your baseball hat okay. back on. Sorry, that was the most interesting thing I saw over the weekend. So I thought I'd dig into it. Yes. Uh, you want a couple of quick Mariners predictions? Sure. Kind of things I expect to see happen this year. Um, I think this is after the week that was kind yeah, of taking in intel yeah, all week, thinking all right. about everything that we saw and heard. Uh, Matt Brash, I think, is ready for the next step. Doesn't mean he's going to be the closer or anything like that. Because they he don't really do that. No, I think that cutter's garbage. I'm not in. You, I've told you since the beginning. I'm not into that cutter. Okay. I don't understand why Matt Brash needs a third glove side breaking pitch. That seems ridiculous, but. Uh, if you're I, listening to Driveline, you can text. But, yep, go ahead. I think Matt Brash is going to probably be in that role that Paul Seawalt was in. Mm. Just sort of a guess. Maybe not right off the bat. Not a closer because we don't do closers. No. But the highest leverage, the toughest at bat. Second highest leverage. I mean, I think Munoz is going to get your highest leverage. He's the best pitcher in your bullpen. He's the guy they were given the highest leverage to last year. He is your top reliever. Your ace reliever, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But as I think through it, and and look, they're going to find ways to get guys into the situations that are good for them. You know, he protects, as we've seen, Festa and Murphy and even Diego Castillo and tries to get those guys into the situation, Swanson last year, that are going to benefit them. The bottom of the order, the right lefties, the right righties, etc. They really look for ways to to get the most out of guys that are not necessarily, you know, ready for the highest leverage. I don't think they're going to protect Brash like that. I get the sense that his stuff is going to play at such a high level mm-hmm. that you will see him eventually eclipse Paul Seawald, who I love. It's not a shot at Seawald, but I think he probably enters into that territory at some point this year. Okay. Um, I think JP is a better year. I know we heard a little bit about the driveline stuff, JP Crawford. I know that we heard about, you know, he's working out a little differently and he's at driveline and he's here around Seattle and all of that. I think he needed to do a little something to change his body, change his approach, et cetera, which it sounds like is happening. But beyond that, just all of the talk about giving him a few more days off, I buy into that. I I just think he could use it. The numbers are pretty clear. So, again, just kind of listening to everything last week and, and, you know, what they love about Teoscar, and I can't wait to hear him, Mm -hmm. not watch him. But he's one of those guys you want to hear him. Loud bat. When you're getting down to spring training, you get an opportunity to get so close to those cages. And, and BP, make sure that you get around the cage when you know it's Julio and Teoscar. And, and they kind of organize those guys in that way in the lineup. And make sure you just listen to that at bat. Because his numbers, his, you know, his exit velo is top five when it comes to line drives and fly balls and everything else. Top ten even on ground balls. So he hits the ball hard. Mm. And then just listening to the Mariners and listening to their analytics crew and listening to all of that, Mike, that, that, that matters at T-Mobile. As hard as it is to hit there, you better be able to hit the ball hard. Something Winker couldn't do, something a little second baseman couldn't do, and part of the reason they're not here anymore in Adam Frazier. You know who's right there in, in that exit velo right. at the very bottom Yep, is JP. But when he's going well and he gets a little bit more loft in his swing, et cetera, you've seen what he's capable of doing. So if they can get him into that right spot and keep him healthier and a little stronger over the course of the year. I think it'll pay results. Honestly, I, I do for JP Crawford. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot more running this year. Between the pickoff rules changing and the larger bases, et cetera, that should be great for Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore. I'm curious to see how it affects a Tom Murphy. 
I'm curious to see how the pitchers work to help out their 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 uh, catchers and you know. Talk to me about the new pickoff. I, not you can only about. throw over twice or step off twice. Once you've done that, oh. you've got to go to the plate. So how big a lead does a guy get at that point could be pretty extreme. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean, you got to be, which means you got to be really judicious with your pickoffs. So catchers throwing and pitchers going, getting quick to the plate, slide steps, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Big deal. So that'll be interesting. It probably also explains why Luis Torrens is no longer going to be a catcher here in Seattle. Like he's just not going to be able to do all that. Yeah, I- I've been worrying a little bit about Suarez regressing. This year, I don't know about you, just, you know, year kind of came together so well. And I'm, I'm still going to be sort of on my watch list for this year. But if you go back, and, and I asked a few folks about this, and look at his at-bats late in the year when he came back from being hurt and into the postseason, he did a little bit more than just hitting home runs to left. Mm-hmm. He started to go the other way. You remember the the uh, hit he had in Toronto to kind of lead off that series when we went right down the first baseline I mean, if he can do more of that and just become a tough out throughout the year at times, I will take back my um Because he's fear. probably, of anybody in your lineup, would he be the most true out, three true outcome guy? Kind of playing to... Uh, no, I don't think so. You don't think so? Teoscar in this some lineup, of that high strikeout rate. I have to think about that a little bit. Cal Wild strikeout home run. Cal? Cal kind of, he can spray it a little bit. And he's got, uh, no, uh, no. Uh, switch hitter at least. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I might, what does I that might, sound? I might put Cal in that category <laughs> of the three two outcomes. But uh, I'm sorry. Thank you, the texture. This is more accurate. Was that Jim Tom, Tom Sula sound you just <laughs> dropped on me? The <laughs> rule is if you throw over a third time, you either need to get the guy out or he gets he gets second automatically. Oh, so sorry. Excuse me. You're right. That that's a, a more accurate representation. Thank but you. you really only get two, and then the third one is hey, do or die. <laughs> right. Wow. So that changes things significantly for some of these base stealers. So there's a few thoughts. We're getting a lot more. We're a few weeks away from getting down to spring training. We'll be down there the week of February 27th, talking to everybody. And and all four of us are going to be there. Brock, Maura, Justin, myself. And uh, as it should come as no surprise to you, I can't wait. My favorite week of the year, getting a chance to go down, be around spring training and kind of dry Mm. out. After the after the, after the long winter, there's a little Jim Tom Sula. Where is he now? Jim Tom Sula? Yeah, I'm not sure. No, me neither. Yeah. All right, Lewis Riddick joins us in 20 right after Need to Know Next. Brock and Salk Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, a week or so after making some comments that led all of us to believe things weren't going particularly well with his negotiation with the Seahawks, Geno Smith took a very different tack. He joined the Pivot podcast and didn't sound frustrated at all. I would, I would love to be in Seattle, man. I love Seattle. You know, we have a great relationship. And, uh, you know, I think we'll work things out. Um, you know, when it comes to, like, contracts, I think every player just wants to get paid his work. And uh, it's funny because, like, a great friend of mine tells me, like, no matter what check they write, it'll never be your, your work. Because your worth isn't in money, it isn't in you know, monetary things. And so um, you just want to be respected. You know, your contract just wants to say, we respect you. We understand what you bring to the table. We understand the caliber player you are, and we appreciate you. And that's really all it comes down to. Do you understand what he's saying there? Uh, I do completely. And I'll say this as well. Add that to week one. I don't know, week two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. 
to just Gino doing it right. Mm-hmm. When that microphone is in his face, he's authentic. He's not just a robot. There's nothing that feels scripted and premeditated. And, you know, I, some of the things that he said this year, Mike, I will remember forever. I'm a thumb guy. I'm a thumb guy. That thumb is in my chest. I, you know, the, the haters, and uh, I'm not writing them back. I mean, it's just as, and, and he's exactly right, man. Your worth is never going to be defined by your checking account and, and what they pay you. But ultimately, do they respect you enough with the number that you've got in mind, your agent's got in mind, family's got in mind, and can you find a way to get that deal done? That sure does sound a lot more like that Week 18 sound or the playoff sound than it did some of the tweets over the last couple weeks. All right, question number two. Who's the Not second really question, thing I suppose. you need to know? Anyway, sorry, <laughs> got a little confused here. <laughs> no, it's good. Need to know, number two. Do you want some mistakes? Or you want some uh, excuses? <laughs> I can make mistakes. you want some excuses? We do yeah. it in the style of Buster uh-huh. Rhymes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I will not. <sighs> I'm just going to say. Fighting a little sinus. Fighting a little sinus. It's more of a senior dog issue. Oh, senior sorry. dog issue. It's kind of like having a baby sleeping in bed with you. Wakes up constantly throughout the night, except needs to be taken outside. Needs to be carried down the stairs, carried outside, carried back inside, has its butt wiped, <laughs> put its diaper back on. It's, it's a rough go in the Salk household at the moment with poor Wendell, so I, I'll apologize. Anyway, uh, Gino looked pretty darn sharp in the Pro Bowl, didn't you think? And he started the first of the two flag football games. I thought he was the best player on the field, honestly. He looked fantastic. He was moving all over the place and throwing darts and led his team to a win. It doesn't mean anything for well, you know, whether he's going to get paid or what kind of an NFL quarterback he is, but he moved the needle a little bit. He was great. Just checks another box. Yet again, from an evaluation standpoint, how is he amongst his peers? Is he a fish out of water at the Pro Bowl? Or are these guys looking at him like, who are you? How did you get here after a decade in this league? Is nothing but a backup? Nope, you didn't feel Not any of that at all. If anything... You felt like on that stage, Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff and Huntley and Lawrence, like, yep, you're, you're the guy. And uh, as Eli Manning said after the game, he, I think he showed you today why he completed 69.8% of his passes this season. The guy can spin it, mm-hmm. and the guy can throw it in five touchdowns yesterday in the old 7-on-7 seven seven. was pretty good tape, too. Here's the third thing you need to know. Question three. <laughs> Dragon make a little uh, trade over the weekend. They bring in a defenseman, Jacob Megna from San Jose. They trade away one of their three fourth round picks to get him. Big dude. He's had a pretty good year. He's considered kind of a stay at home, trustworthy defensive presence on the blue line, which is good. Something they need. Makes me wonder how long Justin Schultz is going to be out. But uh, going to be a little surprised that they didn't go after somebody yet who has some just experience. Playoff when is the trade experience. deadline? They got about a month. Okay. It's like beginning of March, March 5th, something like that. Um, but I like this deal. He's a big dude. He can hit. He stays at home. He's had a good year. Played on their top defensive pairing. He'll probably be on the bottom defensive pairing here. Um, so, yeah, good news. I like it. 6'6", 220? Yeah, big dude. Going to need that. Real question for the Kraken is, does Matty Benier's practice today? Correct. Right? I mean, if you're a Kraken fan, the biggest thing you're wondering is when they practice today in New, New, uh, in New York on the island, is he there? Is he practicing, or are we continuing to wait this out to find out whether or not he's going to be healthy enough to play at any point? I sure hope he is. And by the way, on the hardwoods, a little bit of news here locally, Gonzaga. I know our listeners over there in Spokane 
been a little bit of a different season. It has been, you know, through this West Coast Conference. St. Mary's has been there through the years, and you've, you've had some competition, but not like this. And you lose Saturday night. You had to lead most of the game. It trickles away at the end of regulation. You lose in overtime, and now you're looking up in the standings by two and a half games at an undefeated 10-0 and St. Mary's, Gonzaga 8-2. and And kudos to the UW women. Biggest win in a long time. In fact, biggest win over Stanford in seven years. Number two ranked Stanford in your house on Montlake yesterday. The UW women get it done 72-67. Yeah, biggest win in, uh, probably since Kelsey Plum's been kicking around, wow. to be honest with you. Pretty so good. They, need, they needed that one. Very nice, very nice. All right, that is everything you need to know. And apparently a little question thrown in as well here on Brock and Salk, CL Sports on 710. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't I, I don't mean to make an excuse. That's terrible. I shouldn't do that. Uh, but, but oof. It's the first senior dog I've ever had. It is more of a challenge than I realized it would be. I mean, so Wendell's 14, pretty old for a French bulldog. They're like, you know, 7 to 12 is sort of their general lifespan. Can you tell Wendell today that every time, and I was just walking yesterday, the lady was walking her dog, I confuse pugs and Frenchies. Yeah. So I always ask. Different kind of ears. Yeah. Frenchie ears go up like a bat. Pug ears go down. Oh, that's good to know. That should, that should be very helpful for you. So one more time, so that never has to happen Frenchy again? ears go up like a bat. They're like right. satellite dishes facing up and out, oh, interesting. whereas the pug ears sort of fold over. They fold down. Yeah. Okay, now I know. Now I don't have to ask every owner that walks around, but I'd kind of ask because every time I see one, yeah. I think of Wendell. Yeah, well, So you please let Wendell know that today, that Uncle Brock's <sighs> like, hey, buddy, I saw a little pug yesterday and thought about you. And What and, I don't uh, really understand about Wendell is that the, the damn dog sleeps all day. All day. And when I say he's asleep, like he doesn't wake up when you walk in. He doesn't wake up when you nudge him. He doesn't wake up when there's like somebody else walks in the door. I mean, there could be intruders. It's like you on an airplane. Nothing. He is out like a light, sleeps the entirety of. He's driving me insane. <laughs> he's licking his lips. He's crawling around the bed. He's jumping. He fell off the bed last night. Oh. Smashes onto the ground. He's rolling around. I got to drag him outside. Heather's up three times. He's in a different time zone. Dude, it's just it's just terrible. Lewis Riddick join us next. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. It was a cathartic experience. Oh. I appreciate it. All right, it's Brock and Salt. Seattle Sports on 710 and <laughs> SeattleSports.com. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. All right, Senior Bowl over the weekend as we get ready for the Seahawks having the best draft capital of our entire time doing shows here, Brock, in the 14 years or so that we've uh, been on and off the air. So let's talk to Lewis Riddick, who uh, studies this stuff. Lewis, you were there this weekend, right? Were you at the Senior Bowl? I sure was. So what did we think? I sure was. What stood out? First of all, how are you? It's good to have you on the show. Um, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, Senior Bowl is always... One of the best events because it kind of really gets your your mind focused on the off off season building phase of the NFL, which I think really really it kind of it, it kind of holds people people's attention about how you know teams are really built because there's so much varying opinions about how te- people think teams should be built. In the offseason, everybody is hopeful, so everyone feels as though they can make the Super Bowl the following year just by a couple free agency or draft moves, which is what makes – I think the offseason is probably more, a more opinionated time in the calendar year than even the season because 
like I said, everyone feels as though their team with the right moves can be a team that's playing in the Super Bowl the following year, although we know that some teams just can't get out of their own way and probably the usual suspects are going to always be there. But it's not terribly outrageous because Jackson, Jacksonville no, can not. get the right coach and turn and, and the Giants right. can play to the right system. And, you know, Philly can draft Jalen Hurts in the second round and, and build an RPO game with big physical dudes around him and, and build a complete. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah, maybe at the final step of it, Lewis, I mean, to, to go all the way through the gauntlet and all the playoffs, maybe you're right. There's, there are usual suspects. But as far as the playoffs go, and, and heck, right here in our market, <laughs> you saw it in August. Not many other people did. Yeah. But even in this market, you get rid of Bobby, you move on from us, and all of a sudden, you're still a playoff team. So it's not terribly yeah. outrageous for fans to, to have that kind of hope because this sport turns it faster than any of the other professional sports. Yeah, and I don't, I don't mean to be a curmudgeon. And I, 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 you know, maybe, I, maybe it came off that way, which is definitely not my intent because, look, in Jacksonville, I believe that when Doug Peterson got hired, that he would turn that thing very quickly because of the young talent that they had, because of the impact he would have on Trevor, and because how it would be such a 180 from the kind of culture and atmosphere that had existed there in 2021, which was insufferable. And obviously, you know, with Seattle coming out there for training camp, I thought right away, I said, you know, this team is fast. This team's loose. This coach is motivated. These players feel as though they have a lot to prove given that, you know, it's been a whole leadership change out with the old in with the new. Some, you know, players felt as though they could express themselves, spread their wings, that they could grow, that they could assert themselves. And I was like, team's going to be a lot better than people think. <laughs> so you're right. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw cold water on teams and on franchises that may have had may have been down on their luck and say that they can't turn it around. That's true. They can. I guess I should say, Brock, I should say this. I guess it's case by case, uh, and it goes much further than just get a couple good players. I'm a big believer in how the program is run from day to day as far as making, you know, allowing the talent that you have to actually become – Winners on the football field. That's why I believe so much in Pete when we talk to him out there, because I've always believed in Pete. I've always been a guy who thought, damn, I would have loved to have played for that guy. And I've always believed in guys like Doug Peterson, who I believe are great, great communicators who don't, who do it a diff- in a different way than maybe the coaches that I was coached by, who were some of the greats of all time. And I, and I think, man. I wonder how I would have been under guys like that who have a different way of going about it. Well, you know? I think basically what you're saying is every team can turn it around unless they're the Jets or maybe the Browns. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I think some, well, you know, some some places like like I'm saying, like they're just broken. They, they just you know, it, it's from it's it's the structure. It's not really the structure. I guess it's the people who make up the components of the structure, mm-hmm. and then how it's run, and how it's and then how it's managed from day to day. That just doesn't give them a chance. I don't care how many good players they may have at certain positions. They just can't. It, it's too hard. I mean, you guys know that the season's too long. There's too many things that have to go the right way. It's hard to win in spite of bad culture or bad organizational functionality. It's just too hard. In spite of is not a good recipe in the NFL. 
All right. win because of. So let's talk some Seahawks uh, as we start thinking about the yeah. draft, and and maybe we'll we'll do, maybe this will involve the Senior Bowl, maybe not. But I mean, the biggest question right. here, obviously, is what do you do with the fifth overall pick if you are John Schneider, Pete Carroll, and the Seahawks? Yeah, I think it's going to be it's got to be. Well, I shouldn't say it's got to be. I, I I would lean towards thinking that it's probably going to be a defensive impact player, primarily on the first two levels of the defense, probably fast rusher or D tackle, whoever is the guy that can really give them some playmaking ability to one create negative runs, you know, capture the line of scrimmage and get them the third down and then be able to sack quarterbacks, turn over the football, give the offensive more chance. They just don't, they don't have anybody really up there. They need more, they need more people. Mm -hmm. They need more people on the impact players there. And they need somebody in the secondary as well. They need another guy on the edge because you know, Tariq's going to have one side locked down now for the who knows how long Then he's just only going to get better. They need another one. They need another playmaker back there to go along with him. So really, it's all three levels, just however, however you want to prioritize it. I would assume it'll be up front because that's how they, they're great teams in the past. They had great pass rushers. They had impact players up front. Yes, they had good players in the secondary. Don't get me wrong. The Legion was second to none. But I, I would assume that it'll be a player on that side of the ball unless, unless they feel as though, even though as we negotiate with Gino and maybe lock him up for the intermediate term, that he still ultimately is going to be a bridge to someone else who they turn it over to to be the true franchise quarterback, unless that's their thinking, which I don't know. Mm. Uh, we'll get to Gino here in just a second. Uh, he is Lewis Riddick, uh, the voice, the man, the legend over there at ESPN, does such a terrific job, and, and you've become just awesome in this in this draft seat, sitting there uh, capturing the draft. And I think one thing you and I may have in common, Lewis, and you can shoot it down if it's mm. if I'm wrong, but uh, this last weekend, I was at a, at a service, a memorial service, and um, I had to read a very long script, um, nine pages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I loved printing it out and putting it in a binder. I had a three-hole punch. Mm-hmm. I put that hole punch uh-huh. in. I put it in the binder. And when I see you on the set there on draft day, man, your, your freaking binder is so big. You know, you got that big mm-hmm. binder in front of you. How much do you enjoy, and at what stage are we at right now with that binder getting ready for the draft in a couple months? Yeah, what's interesting is, you know, a lot of the stuff, any kind of binder that I have up there, to be perfectly honest with you, is probably like support information about players. The stuff that is mine, Brock, I have really moved towards putting stuff. There's a couple of really cool apps that you can really organize stuff well on, on iPads. And I got I hope nobody ever steals my iPad or it never breaks down on draft night. Otherwise, I am screwed, dude. I mean, absolutely, I'm dead in the water. But I have every I have everything on there that I can get to really quickly. And right now, I'm starting to organize all that. I, I have all the different positions broken down. I know like the top 100 players that I'm going to focus in on you know, like say over the next month in particular, by the time we get to the draft, I probably will have put my eyes on and can talk very detailed of about 350 players or so, which is a ton, mm-hmm. probably as much, as many as I've ever looked at because, you know, I, I, the first two nights are the nights that I really focus in on hard. The third night, I mean, that's really, that's Mel and Todd, baby. They love that day. And so do I. 
But I, I'm I'm in the process of really identifying here are the guys I'm going to dig in on. I've obviously looked at a bunch of these dudes who were down at the Senior Bowl, but it's a it's a it's a slow grind mm-hmm. from now until April. Biggest, and um, believe big, me, there's a lot of sleepless nights, man. Biggest impression that the week in Mobile made, either personnel, people, culture, guys. The biggest just uh, imp- imprint on you in your time in Mobile this year, this week was what? I would have to say it's a, it's an individual player who I saw during the season when broadcasting Thursday night football, and to see him go off in the Senior Bowl and basically be considered the MVP of practice during the week was running back Tajay Spears from Tulane. This guy, at five eleven, about two hundred maybe, is an absolute just lightning bolt of energy, big playability, toughness in pass pro quick feet vision in between the tackles can get it outside the tackles can take a screen and he's out the gate 70, 80 yards in no time. The consensus was amongst people down there that he was the most electrifying player in practice. (laughs) And I saw him this, this, this regular season against SMU on Thursday night football down at Tulane. And he absolutely just ripped, ripped SMU. And to see him then go up against some of the best draft eligible players in the country and look like a standout, it makes you feel good because during the regular season, I thought when we saw him, not a whole bunch of people are going to really know Tajay Spears and or really care about Tulane because it's not a you know powerhouse P5 school. But to see him do that was 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 awesome. To look at the offensive linemen and defensive linemen and some of the big men down there, which is always where everyone's attention goes to. When these guys go at it in one-on-ones, whether it be at the senior role, whether it be you know at the East, at the Shrine game, when these guys run and lift and do their workouts at the combine, that's where every single GM, personnel director, pro director, college director, position coach, their eyes go right there. Everyone is huddled around and they're all trying to get as close to these guys as possible. And there were some there are some monsters, man. There are some freaking monsters coming out in this draft this year on both sides of the ball. And let, let me here. I'll, I'll just give you a. Uh, I'll give you one guy's name, okay? And just remember this name for when he plays in the league next year. His name's Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee, who switched from left tackle to right tackle at Tennessee this year down there in the SEC. And if you want to watch one game, and say why this guy could be one of the most dominant tackles in not only college football, but as soon as he hits the scene in the pros, watch his game against Will Anderson Jr. when they played uh, Alabama down in Tennessee this year. He absolutely owned the dude. (laughs) Smacking him around the entire game, and he did the same thing down at the Senior Bowl. And when I watch Philadelphia, okay, just to fast forward to the NFL right now, when I watch the way Philadelphia smacked around the New York Giants, and then threw around the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going, I've never been a bigger fan of big men in the NFL. And I'll t- as much as we love the perimeter guys and quarterback talk and wide receivers and doing the gritty and all, and Joe Burrow, I love them all. The big men is where the money is made. And that's where, as Mike Tomlin likes to say, the rubber meets the road. And there's some good ones coming up. And in this Super Bowl... This coming Sunday, we're going to see some of the very best we've ever seen. I think I think Jason Kelsey may be the best center we've ever seen. Hmm. 
Well, ever. Give us some names. So, so at five and at twenty, if you think the Seahawks should go defensive end, defensive tackle, or defensive tackle, defensive end, give us some names. Who should we pay? Who should we be paying attention to that well, might be available in those spots for them? Oh wow, man! Um, I mean, I've seen names like let me think. I've seen names like Tyree Wilson, who's an edge player from Texas Tech. You like him? Um, I, I have only watched him a very little bit. I don't see this is where like right now it's it's so early in my process that okay. I'm not gonna I, I can't really pro- catch me in about a month right, and I'll yeah. tell you what I'll talk to you for about an hour All about right. who I think. All right, we, okay, we, we let, won't let put me, you on the spot now. It's, just, it's just too early. It's too early. For We're gonna have you put right your now. GM cap on instead, Lewis. We'll, we'll forget about individual yep. players there. Let's put your GM yep. cap on because we got a decision to make here in Seattle. They got Geno Smith yeah. sitting out there, Drew Locke sitting out there. Right now, the Seahawks don't have a quarterback in their quarterback yeah. room. We know the franchise mm-hmm. tag is $32.4 million. We know Geno performed at a close to an elite level this year. We've been throwing around somewhere in the 30 to $35 million a year number. Uh, but yep. if you pay that, can you make yourself better enough to be better than you were this year? Are you paying Geno Smith $30-something million a year if you're John Schneider? Yes, I am. I am. Because I do believe this. I do believe – look, your margin for error shrinks, obviously, when there's more cap dollars allocated to the, to the quarterback position. But it's not an automatic death sentence and a, and a recipe for mediocrity if you have to pay your quarterback. And then all of a sudden now you can't – see, what, what people automatically equate this to is, well, I then can't go out in free agency and just buy up a bunch of guys. I can't spread it around and get all these other guys that I want. Okay, I, I, I know that that sounds great in theory, and, and it should be great in theory to be able to try and take advantage of that window of, of a cheaper quarterback or a quarterback on his, uh, on his rookie contract. But I can tell you this. Based on the way that they drafted this year and the return on investment they got with their draft picks this year and the haul of pick that they have this year coming up, Look at what Kansas City did as far as their rookies this year. Look at the look at the return they got on their rookies this year. They got six guys playing on defense right now that are key key contributors that help. Prop- now I know Patrick Mahomes is a guy. Well, people said, well, when you have Patrick, you can get away with that. Okay, I'll give you that to some degree. I'll give you that. But Geno wasn't the reason why this team couldn't take a further step or or a further jump this year. And I don't think that. Cap space is necessarily something that you have to safeguard to the degree where if you have some more cap space and you do get a young quarterback in there, that that cap cap space that you will then gain will allow you to go out and get some players that will get you over the hump with a young quarterback. I don't necessarily believe that to be the case. So let me th- really don't. let me throw this scenario at you then because I, I I love the argument. We've been going back and forth on this, but what if you decide mm-hmm. to not sign Geno Smith? You signed Drew Locke, who you say you like a lot. I mean, Pete and John have both been adamant about how great Drew was this year. You save some $25 million or whatever it is by doing so. You sign Deron Payne and you trade for Max Crosby. Which team is better? Drew Locke, Max Crosby, Deron Payne, or Geno Smith? Look, I, I think the gulf between what Drew Locke could do and what Geno Smith did, did this year to be Grand Canyon esque. Mm. I don't care how much they say they like him. I don't. I don't see it. I believe that drop off would be so significant, 
and so dramatic that Deron Payne, he better be Warren Sapp and Aaron Donald combined when he gets there. And Max Crosby better be Max time that was already great. Mm. I, I, I just don't, I don't see that. I, I, I don't see that as being a, a situation where then mm. they improve on their record this year and take another step. I, I don't see it. Don't see it. Okay. Uh, you've got 300 players taped to watch. It's busy time. It's Super Bowl week. We got to let you go, but I got to just end on this <laughs> because you and I uh, totally agree. And I think over my years of doing broadcasts, I think I started very quarterback heavy and, and, you know, perimeter heavy. And now I love nothing more than highlighting big men and difference makers on the O-line, D-line. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me about that cat that's like the longest wingspan in Senior Bowl history. Tell me about Dewan Jones, 6'8", 375. I know the Seahawks got their tackles, and Abe and Charles were awesome. But maybe you slide Abe in. Heck, you, you mentioned Darnell. Maybe you slide Abe in to right guard, and you add Darnell to right – like, tell, tell me about that thought and that big man as well. Was he as physically imposing and dominant as some of those measurables showed? Yeah, he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't practice much down there. Mm. Um, I do know this though. I do know uh, talking to Jim Nagy, the executive director of the senior Bowl, that when you see him up close and personal, you're talking about an 89-inch wingspan, <laughs> former high school basketball player who basically blocks out the sun and can move. Yeah. So those guys are transformational players that transform your entire offensive line, your entire offense, your entire team. You know, the only other guy who I, I can – the only guy who I could really picture when, when we were talking about him and when I've seen some of his tape is, when I saw Trent Brown for the very first time in person, mm-hmm. the tackle for the Patriots, he used to be out. I, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> that's I mean, that's literally the word they get out of my mouth. Was, oh, my God. <laughs> and then I talked to him, and he's like a big kid in the face, right? He looks like he's in, like, ninth grade. And I'm going, dude, what the hell? How are you this damn big? And, yeah, those kind of guys, those kind of guys are absolutely, they're freak shows, man. They're freak shows, yeah. and he's a freak show, and he's going to wow people when they get their eyes on him. When he walks across the stage at the combine, you're going to hear an audible gasp from grown men, like <laughs> <laughs> like that. Watch. Who's the biggest man you to behold uh, if you can get in there? Who's the biggest yeah. man you've ever seen in person? <laughs> the biggest guy? Yeah. Um, Trent Brown might be one of them. Jonathan he, Ogden. He's not was... the most. He. Yeah, he's big. I'll, I'll tell you what. I just had this conversation last night while I was sitting there at my at my son's basketball practice. Somebody asked me who's the best, who's the, who's the athlete that when you saw him on the field, literally you just kind of like couldn't stop staring at him. And I said, well, there was two. Well, one when I saw LeBron James in person, mm-hmm. I thought, holy cow! I mean, this guy's got you know shoulders the size of a doorway. But the football player. When I saw Julius Peppers the first time <laughs> warming up down in Carolina, and it was him and Mike Rucker and those guys, and Brenton Buckner, I believe it was. But him and Mike Rucker used to be the two ends for the Panthers. When I saw Peppers, I thought, that <laughs> is what they're supposed to all look like. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. His, his muscles, his, his muscle fibers and his cast were like twitching like a racehorse. 
and he was all greased up. He was all greased up, and his arms were just balled. And I'm sitting there, and you know what? He saw me looking at him, and he came over, and he was like, he's like, hey, how you doing, you know, Mr. Riddick? Because I, I was scouting at the time, and I was like, I was like, Julius, this, you know, I, I'm just sitting there. I couldn't even say anything. I'm just like, damn, this guy's a freak. And he was a kid at the time. Wow, a kid. The two for me would be going, Shaq. You ever see Shaq in person? I have not. Oh my I, God. I have gone to Friedman. I have gone to Friedman's shoes in Atlanta. They had like a, a display of one of his shoes. I can put both of my feet together and put my foot he's, in his shoes. He's gigantic. When you see Shaq in person, yeah. it's nothing quite like that. My first time ever in, I've told Brock this a million times. My first time ever in an NFL locker room, I saw Willie McGinnis standing there. I, uh, Willie from the, yeah. from the front of his chest to the back of his chest is like four and a half feet. <laughs> yeah, you know what? What makes you, what, what, what's wild, man, is, yeah, I'm an old man now, but when, I, I used to think, you know, we used to go out there, and Brock, you know how this is now. I mean, you'd be out there battling with these dudes. Bat- I mean, you didn't even really think about it much then. But when you think about it now, and you look at these guys now, and you look at how some of these kids are just, Yep. bigger and freakier than ever. The game is different. We can talk about the old days and how it used to be back then and how much more physical. And it was, it was, but the size and speed component of these guys mm-hmm. now is off the chart. Scary. Evolution is definitely in full effect. <laughs> Lewis. Uh, thank you. We just love talking to you. Love catching up with you. And as we get closer to the draft, uh, we'll see yeah, if we can man. hit you up again and start talking about some names. Seahawks are in such a fun, interesting spot with number five and then yeah. number 20 and two picks in the second round and everything else. So uh, we will look forward to talking to you as we get a little closer to April. Thank you so much. We appreciate thank it. Thank you, Lewis. Appreciate it so no much. No question, dude. All right. All right. And you should always follow Lewis on Twitter. He's a great follow. Awesome on ESPN. He's really become one of my favorites, man. I love when we have him on the show. Bro, that was like Jerry DePoto length interview. That went so fast. Well, he just enjoys it. Like, he's just oh, having fun, right? He's just a great, great guy. And it's fun <laughs> to see that there are others. See, I'm not that weird. No, I know many of you. Weird. No, no, no. Many of you think I'm just outrageous in my body image stuff and looking at these guys. It is the way that scouts look at it. It's you just evaluate. You do. You look at, you know, you look at the, the, the power source. You look at the calves. You look at, you know, the muscle fibers and you just, yeah. And you want those guys and you want difference makers in this draft. As you hear from them right there mm. has some of the elite, bigger, faster, stronger guys at the line of scrimmage. Some on the offensive line, some on the defensive line. And we will watch a Super Bowl in six days, as he said, with one of the most dominant offensive <laughs> lines in the league in Philly. Pretty darn and cool. when you have one of those, Man, it's fun to follow. Yeah, I mean, that's the most important thing you hear from him is just the game is still dominated by the big fellows up front on both sides of the ball, which we've been saying for a long time, but you got to get it right. It's not that the Seahawks haven't invested. They've just gotten some of it wrong. Well, last year they got the two tackles right. Now it's time to get the rest of it right as well. All right. Uh, I've got some good news for uh, Seattle sports fans. Great news this morning. I will tell you about it next. Brock and Salt, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.